0: Forever,
1: dog. Just between us. Hey.
2: Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I love potatoes. <laughs>
0: Hey, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bi con, bisexual icon. Wink. And we've reached the loopy part of this <laughs> show. <laughs> Did you say you like baked potatoes? No,
2: I just said I love potatoes. Alone, by themselves. I love all types of potatoes. I should explain why I picked this. So sometimes my mom and I will like do a goof when we answer the phone where like, she'll like, like, hello, or like, I'm Allison. Like, we'll sort of like do the bit of the podcast. Oh, OK. And I, for whatever reason, on the phone with her the other day, I said, and I love potatoes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, then, and then she went, oh, have you used that on the show before? And I said, I don't think so. A Ruth Raskin original. <laughs> I like that. I really do. I love potatoes, but I do have to say the one type of potato I don't like that much, honestly, is a is a baked potato. Oh, OK. I mean, if it had a ton of stuff in it, yeah. sure, sign me up. But on its own, I don't know. I, I prefer crispy potato.
0: I don't know why you brought that up. Maybe mind meld. Or did you see on my Instagram story that I went to a place called the baked potato? No. Okay, so I went to a you place. You did? Yeah, I went. So my, uh, my friend, I, it was like Wednesday and I was supposed to go on a date and the date had to bail because he was sick. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do? So I texted my friend and was like, what are you up to? And he was like, me and my childhood friend are going to this jazz, underground jazz club called the baked potato. And I was like, I'll go to that.
2: Do they serve baked potatoes? Yes. Oh, thank God. So
0: it's a jazz club that I would never have noticed driving by. It's like in Studio City. And it's called the Baked Potato. And all they serve is baked potatoes. Massive. With all different types of things on them. And it's a bar as well. And then uh, there's jazz shows. So, like, we went and we just watched these guys play Thelonious Monk. And, like, it was packed. When I tell you it was sold out. Like wow. I got there late and I had to finagle the guy to let me in.
2: What did you get on your baked potato?
0: I didn't get one because I'd
2: already eaten because I didn't know I was going to go there. I would have but 100% they were... gone one anyway. How can you possibly go to a place called a baked potato and not get a baked potato? I know the boys, the two
0: boys bought, got like these big ones that were like mozzarella, calzone. Like, I don't know. It was crazy. Mm. And they also thought that I was. Weird for not getting a baked potato. They were like, just try ours then. And I was like, I'm really too full. And they were both like, this is a waste on you. But the jazz was amazing. And I don't even, I'm not even a huge jazz head. But I was just so happy to be in there. I was like, it made me feel like, God, there's so many things and people and stuff in the world that I don't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why it's called that. I don't know. It seemed like it had been there for like decades, that club.
2: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it was amazing. So honestly, if you just text your friend and are like, what are you up to? And you're open to spontaneous hangouts and they say something weird, go to it.
2: Go for it and order the, the specialty.
0: Order the specialty. I didn't do that. Boo.
2: This is just between us. A variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty.
0: Would you have any interest in going to the baked potato?
2: Well, I don't, I, I. You don't want to go out at night. Right. I don't want to go out at night. I also don't know if I like jazz.
0: I didn't really either, but it was fun.
2: Is it very loud? No. And oh, okay. I thought it would be. I could. I, yeah, that would make me. I would be worried it'd be too loud. But you're going to come to my Seder
0: and that's at night.
2: Yeah, but you told me about it like a month in advance so I could put it and on my you, calendar and, and, and prep myself for it.
0: Yeah. Is John excited to come to the Seder? I think so. Cool. There's going to be a few going
2: in there. We've got a great episode for everyone today.
0: Yeah, we're going to be talking to Dr. Asher Laramie all about anti-fat bias and being um, a fat doctor, which is, I mean, the conversation was so good.
2: It's a conversation I've wanted on this show for years. And so I'm Uh so happy it finally happened.
0: It was amazing. And you're going to want to gear up for hypotheticals.
2: (laughs) It's a wild ride. And later we're going to be talking all about fame, the good, the bad. And the ugly TV show, the movie show, yeah. (laughs) But first, we have got to answer a listener's question, and you know what that means? International question, international question, international question. Anonymous Anonymous writes, Dear Allison and Gabe, I'm writing to you with an urgent question. Urgent, I mean, honestly. Uh, This was sent a a bit ago, so I apologize (gasps) on the late reply, but (laughs) we're still getting to it. I'm writing to you with an urgent question. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty insignificant, but nevertheless, here we go. Sorry for the grammar. I could say it's because I'm Danish, but if I'm being honest, it's probably worse than Danish. Incredible. (laughs) Question. Should I express my birthday wishes to the guy I'm seeing? Larger Question. How do I work on not letting my past relationships affect my current situation? Okay,
0: wow. That's an A to C leap. (laughs) Let's uh, get into it.
2: It makes sense later. Backstory. I've, like most, been ghosted, had a broken engagement, been lied to, yelled at, etc. Oh my God, just like
0: us. Celebs, they're just
2: like us. (laughs) My last boyfriend forgot my birthday, and I've been dumped with little to no explanation many times. A guy I was crazy about just began canceling all of our dates on the day. So I felt like I had to end it. But in my current situation, I am seeing this wonderful man. We have known each other for almost one year and dated for about five months. We are not boyfriend-girlfriend yet, but I hope and feel like that's where we are heading. Please cross your fingers for me. Done. I've tried my very best to not seem insecure. Here is just the most recent situations. One, the last time we were together, I said something right before he dropped me off. I said, sometimes I'm scared to ask you if you want to make plans because I'm afraid you'll feel pressured to say yes. I told him I don't want him to feel like I'm demanding like he had felt with the previous girl he was dating and whom he dumped for this reason. He told me he did feel like he could say no and that she wouldn't even let him exercise. Two, today he canceled our plans for the first time. I mean, he had a pretty good excuse. He's going to get examined by healthcare professionals after work because he's been sick for about a week. Sure. Now I am overthinking. I figured before I was too much for him and now he's slowly dumping me. But because I am oh so fucking sweet, he doesn't want to hurt me. So now he's just going to start coming up with excuses for why he has to cancel. I feel like I'm looking for signs he's going to dump me. I have really worked on myself and I even love myself. Still, I am so afraid of losing this guy. I've never been in love with such a great guy. I always used to fall for addicts and more unstable guys. So to compare him with those guys isn't fair. I would highly appreciate any thoughts you might have on my situation. I really feel you give such excellent advice. How honest can I be about all these issues with my birthday coming up, with him canceling on me, with my lack of trust that I'm lovable enough for him to stay? Please send help. So to conclude, the straights are not okay. Quote, and I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Michael Scott. Best from me, P.S. The Bachelor in Denmark has two men as bachelors in both seasons. They seem to be getting along fine. They aren't really going after the same women.
0: I love this email because it's all of our interests. Yeah. It's just all of our interests. P.S. 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 Wow. What a well done email, Anonymous.
2: Seriously. um, I feel very connected to you, even though we are strangers. (sighs) This is tough. As a self-identified relationship <laughs> expert, let me really lay and into this. lived experience, straight mm-hmm. person. It happened to me. I'm straight. <laughs> <laughs> so they, I'm of two minds. And I think the minds that I'm at have to do with how serious of a relationship this is. Because I, 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 I felt there were two conflicting pieces of information here, which was one that you're not boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm. But then you also said that you're in love with him. Mm. And so I know everyone's on a different trajectory timeline. But for me, that that would be confusing.
0: Mm, I Um, didn't even think of that.
2: And so I think we often feel like everybody should approach relationships the same way and there is one quote unquote sane way to be in a relationship, uh-huh. and everything else is not okay, and and grounds for people to dump you, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. But the reality is, is like we have to tailor our individual relationship experiences and the conversations that we have in our relationships based on our own history and context. And so, for example, if you're somebody that has been cheated on, and so you know that you are pretty anxious and worried about that. You know, I think there's value to sharing that with your partner, not making it their responsibility, but just filling them in about because of what's happened to me in my, in my history, I am someone who tends to make that mental jump. Mm -hmm. I wish I didn't. It's something I'm working on, but I felt like I should share that with you because you're the one that's in relationship with me. And I also want you to feel comfortable pushing back on me if this soft spot becomes an issue in our relationship. And I actually think that that is kind of a helpful way to frame it where that way that it's not saying, Hey, I'm going to put this on you. And therefore, you know, this is what you're going to have to put up with with me. It's saying I want us both to be mindful that this might be something that like I need to have a handle on or something that might start to affect us. And so if you feel that happening, I want you to feel super comfortable telling me that. exactly, So that I can, you know, I might need a little reassurance from you. I might need a conversation with you, but I want to be, you know, I want to be in charge of my stuff. And I also want us to feel like we could talk about my stuff openly. Yes. And so with all of the baggage that you have, I think having a conversation about, hey, because of these things, I'm someone who tends to make these mental leaps. I know that that's not fair. I know that it's not based on our relationship or anything that's happened between us. But unfortunately, that's just where I am in my healing journey. And so I just want to touch base about what what is this relationship to you? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because I think for someone like you, maybe this murkiness of like, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody, it's kind of assumed that they're gonna spend you're gonna spend your birthday together, right? But in this like talking dating phase, it's more like up in the air. And I feel like some maybe for someone like you, like this murkiness might be feeding into some of these desires or some some of these anxieties, right? So if you're able to say like, "Hey, here are the things that I'm dealing with. Here's some stuff that unfortunately I'm bringing into the relationship. I want you to be able to tell me like when." when it's causing an issue, when it's bumping for you. But also I'm someone that might just like, at least while I'm healing, need a little more reassurance from you. Mm -hmm. So like, if you do cancel plans to just add in that extra thing of like, I'm so sorry, but I can't wait to see you blank day. Yes. Just add in a little something extra for me. And that combined with the work I'm doing on my own is going to get us over the hump that maybe in the past would have been a full spiral.
0: It's so hard to ask for what you need in that regard. It's so hard. Like I am still learning how to say, "Hey, I know that it's not personal or whatever, but um can you just say that you like me a lot or can you tell me?" I'll say sometimes like, "Can you tell me like something you like about me today?" or something like that. I think it is hard. I think I think you don't ask you don't get. We say that a lot on this show. So if you want to spend your birthday with him, when you just you should say, "Here's what I want us to do for my birthday. What do you think?"
2: Absolutely. And and really leading with, I don't need to take whatever form of a relationship this person is willing to give me. Mm-hmm. Instead, setting out to form the kind of relationship you want mm-hmm. and then see if that is a compatible desire with whatever type of relationship they want. Yeah. Right? Because there are going to be some people who want to spend every night together early on in dating before you live together. And there are going to be some people that don't want to do that. Exactly. But like, I think instead of like trying to figure out what type of relationship this other person is And then mirroring for that mirroring out of it, insecurity. Go after the kind of relationship you want. Like Gabe said, like ask them to spend the birthday together. Ask for the things that you want. Try to, sh- you know, how are you going to get what you want if you don't even attempt to shape that?
0: And I think it's incredibly important to have to give the option of saying no and to react to feedback in in a way like a huge thing in my relationship now is the option to say no. So I want this person to feel safe saying no so that they can feel safe saying yes. And I think like the number one thing that you wrote, it's like really important that the distinction where you he said he feels that you are okay with a no. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so healthy and that's so important. And I think that's like 90% of it, honestly, is like, you know, if I'm like, okay, like the op, like if you say no, I'm not going to make it a whole thing or be, you know, make you're in trouble or anything like that. Then it makes the other person feel let down walls and feel safer. And then you can let down walls and feel safer. But I think, yeah, it's a time in the relationship where insecurity exists for a reason. You don't have to beat yourself up for being insecure.
2: And, like, it is hard to let go of a fear of abandonment when you've mm-hmm. been abandoned. But something that's worked for me is to remember that every relationship is different. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I think really leaning into that. And, like, obviously, if you're, and, and you know, I think you're doing this we are like, oh, but this was a sign last time. This was a thing last time, you know, which is so hard to fight. But I think, like, being able to say that, I will be okay because this thing has already happened to me and I am okay. And also the type of person that I want to be with won't do that to me. Yes. And like the fact that they're showing up every day because they want to, that like they're continuing to see you because they want to, they're not locked into anything with you. They're not being forced to see you. Like, you know, you are bringing something to the table too. Mm -hmm. And I think really focusing on like what you are bringing to their life can help a lot as well.
0: Yeah, whatever you want to do for your birthday, say you want to do it.
2: Yeah, if you hear this and your birthday has passed and you didn't celebrate with them in time, let's have a belated birthday celebration. Yeah. Let's get it going, saying, you know, we missed my birthday. I still want to celebrate. I think you can celebrate a birthday within months of a birthday.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It's your birthday when you say it is. Yeah, exactly. But also, like, I think asking someone to make plans with you and then being worried that they're just saying yes to be nice People aren't really that nice. People aren't really like going to like spend all this time with you. Because you know what I mean?
2: Big thing that changed for me was like taking the leap of faith of believing what people were telling exactly. me. When somebody said something nice, I chose to believe it, that they believed that, you know, instead of like the background voice of like, oh, but are they just lying or do they how could they think that or that's not how I view myself. Right. Believe that the time that these people spend with you is time they want to be spending with you. Exactly. Hopefully that helped. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com.
0: Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Dr. Asher Laramie. Stay tuned.
2: just between us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Top questions.
0: This week on the show, we have Dr. Asher Larmy, who was recently named Britain's most outrageous doctor by the Daily Mail. They are a trailblazing transgender non-binary GP and passionate fat activists known for their mission to end medical weight stigma. And also, uh, Allison is a
1: huge fan. <laughs>
2: Yes, I'm very excited. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, but I expect you to refer to me now as Britain's most outrageous doctor. That I've earned that title, and that is how you will refer to me from now onwards. And the <laughs> Daily <laughs> Mail. In the Daily Mail, no less. I actually wrote a thank you letter to the man that wrote the article saying thank you, although I wish he hadn't, he, he wrote it as a question, is this? And I was like, I wish you'd said this is, and then I could just claim yeah. it for myself, but there you go.
2: Well, we'll give give it to you. Yeah, we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. I'll take Um,
0: it. (laughs) The Daily Mail, a reputable news source.
1: Very, very reputable.
2: (laughs) So this is something I feel like a a topic we have been dancing around for a while, but that neither of us are are knowledgeable about, you know, anti-fat bias and more specifically, not just anti-fat bias in society, but in the medical field Mm -hmm. and Can we kind of dive into what got you to this activism? Because I think it's not, at least from what I gleaned from your website, it's not where you started.
1: Oh, gosh, no, no. I mean, I grew up just like everybody else in a world where thin is good, fat is bad. And, you know, when it comes to health, definitely fat is bad. I was dieting from a very young age. I had a mother who really loved to police what I ate. So, you know, I was dieting at a very young age and then kind of binging whenever I could get my hands on food that I wasn't allowed to have at home. I went to medical school and I was taught that being fat is bad and being thin is good. And, you know, I got, that was all I was ever taught throughout my medical sort of school experience. And then when I um, became a doctor, I've been a doctor for 20 years. I graduated in 2003. So feeling slightly old today, which is a good thing. But, uh, you know, uh, this is all I've ever known. And uh, the medical field is really, really anti-fat because there is that kind of added element of, well, we're doing it for your health. And, you know, a lot of trolls will say mm-hmm. that on the internet, but they don't actually care about you, but we're supposed to care about your health. So it becomes a real thing. And in tw- so very recently, in 2020, I started blogging. Um, I turned 40 and I started to blog, I don't know, midlife crisis, something like that. It was my way of coping with COVID because it was, a. I mean, you know, for, for GPs in the UK, we were looking after the patients that didn't make it into a hospital. And so we were mm-hmm. palliating patients. That's all we did. And it was hard. So... I obviously saw all of the horrible stuff happening in COVID and started to panic that I was going to catch COVID because here I am, a fat doctor who's literally touching people with COVID like once every 10 minutes. So I went on a diet, as they do, and I thought I'd do my little blog all about weight loss. So I wrote, I did a little weight loss blog, and my first ever post was called "Weight Loss the Hard Way." I want to go back and slap that arrogance out of that out of that doctor, really. But there you go. I was very confident I was going to lose some weight, and then everyone would be like, "Ha ha Remember when you were a fat doctor? Now you're a thin doctor." It didn't work out that way. Unsurprisingly, I didn't lose the weight. I ended up kind of going on. A, I lost a lot of weight. That's not true. I lost a, ton, a lot of weight. Uh, I thinned down really quickly, and then about six months later, I. I sort of hit a wall and I crashed like pretty much everybody does when they go on a diet and this had happened so many times to me that I got to that point where I was just like, I'm never doing this again. And then I thought, but I probably will do it again. But then I thought, why do I keep doing this? And I started to listen to other people. Uh, I was lucky, a, a group, good group of people came around me, were very supportive, introduced me to lots of, um, you know, fantastic people and um, people like Reagan Chastain and, um, Aubrey Gordon and the maintenance Mm -hmm. space podcast. And like I started off in the kind of anti diet space. That's where I started. But as I began to read and as I began to look into kind of, you know, anti diet stuff, I realized it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that diets don't work, which is a small part of it. And it's an important part of it, actually. It was more about how fat people were being treated, particularly within the healthcare profession, because that's what's of most interest to me. And I became very much invested in trying to right a wrong or trying to do what I can to help right the wrong. And here I am three years later, you know, very much, well, my career is very much on the line because I'm currently uh, (laughs) being investigated for, and I quote, bringing the profession into disrepute because of some of the work that I'm doing. So I'm very aware of the fact that I'm causing a lot of waves and I am perhaps Britain's most outrageous doctor at the moment. I mean, I might actually deserve that, but I'm good with it because no one else is really saying this stuff. Lots of people are saying it, but not necessarily in my field, in my general practice in the UK. So here I am.
0: Wait, what do you mean? Why are they investigating you? Who is investigating you? How is that allowed?
1: (laughs) You, You have in the States, obviously, a governing body that looks after doctors and I think it's... The American Medical
0: Association.
1: I don't think it's the AMA who holds your license to practice. I think it might be another board, but whoever it is, we have in in the UK, the General Medical Council, and they hold my license to practice, right? So if if they kick me off the register, I cannot practice medicine in the UK. Uh, so it's like the board or whatever you want to call it. And so they are the ones that are invest. Well, <laughs> I say they're investigating me and they may be investigating me. They're investigating whether to investigate me, which is fantastic. I have been informed that there may be an investigation, but they haven't decided yet. And they'll let me know. Why? Which is just my anti, so I am anti-cisgender people. Uh, basically I'm anti-cisgender Same. and, uh, yeah, <laughs> Shh. I'm anti-white uh, I'm anti-heterosexual, I'm anti and basically I'm I'm I think what they're trying to say is I'm too woke. And that will never do. Um, but especially for but, a doctor, yeah. Right. Doctors shouldn't be woke, of course, because you know, it's very important that we remain prejudiced. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing, but actually I think it reflects a lot of what I find in medicine in that underlying, you know, from the very birth of of modern medicine, it has been used as a tool to oppress certain groups of people and continues to be used as a tool to oppress certain groups of people. We know this in gender affirming care. We know this in reproductive um, health rights. We know this, you know, when it, when it comes to medical racism, I mean, which is unbelievable. And, and we also know this when it comes to the oppression of fat people. And so, and, and of course, all of these things intersect. So it's, it's not just about anti-fat bias, but for me, it is uh, the thing I'm most passionate about and the thing that I you know, I guess, have the most lived experience of. Although, yeah, I, I I would like to get through a day without being called a pedophile or a groomer uh, on the internet. I don't know if that's happened recently.
0: It's a, it's a really good time on the internet for trans people. It's such <laughs> a good time. Oh, thriving. It's, we're having a blast. I'm just imagining like going... Cause with this all steeped in anti-fatness, your decision to like go to medical school and be a doctor and also what was it like to sit in classes about that stuff and be a fat person? Were there other yeah. fat people around? Like, was it just like, you feel that thing where people are looking at you and stuff? Like, what is that like?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the two things, I was smaller. Uh, I was always, I've always been fat, but I, I, you know, I look back at pictures of myself and I'm like, <laughs> you think that's fat, but uh, <laughs> I'm still quite a small fat. You know, I, I am massively privileged in c- c- compared to some of my colleagues. I can still travel. I can, you know, I can get on a plane. I can get in a bus. I can go to a restaurant. I can do a lot of things. I can buy clothes, probably not from a regular store, but at least from a store that has plus size fashion. So I, I'm I'm doing pretty well and probably was even more privileged then, but, but was very conscious of being one of the only fat people in the room. And of course, wherever you have people, a group of people who are, uh, from kind of like a higher caste, I'm using the word caste nowadays because I'm, I'm absorbing the book by, uh, Isabel Wilkinson all about caste. So people who are in the kind of like the elite, the privileged, uh, group of people tend to be smaller. They tend to be thinner. So you're surrounded by that and you kind of feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not just fat, but I'm fat. And I'm also the kid of an immigrant and, I'm queer and, you know, it was, I was a lot of things, but, but, but actually you've been told to hate yourself your whole life. So actually not only does it become acceptable, but it almost becomes something that you, I don't want to say crave, but maybe crave is a good word because for some deep seated psychological reason, you're actually, you want to be treated like garbage because you're fat. Cause that's all you've ever known. I don't remember ever thinking, <gasps> this is wrong. I remember thinking, Oh yeah. And I deserve it. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Someone makes a bad comment. I'm like, yeah, that's so true. So I was almost, you know, the internalized anti-fatness and the anti-fat bias is real as we all know. And that's the same for any, you know, form of prejudice.
2: I'd love to get into like the science of it all, because I think, you know, I've been trying to like say to people, you know, it's actually not unhealthy inherently to be fat the way we've been told but then I sort of fumble at the next step of like explaining how that's true. So like, yeah. can you sort yeah. of like take us through these big misconceptions we have about why it's actually not inherently unhealthy the way we've been told?
1: Yeah, so it's it's just that, it, I mean, the first thing that you have to accept is there really isn't any evidence out there that supports the fact that being fat causes any disease or any, any health condition. When you have like, Things that are related to each other, like A and B. Let's say being fat and having diabetes, right? That's A and B. A can cause B, B can cause A, C, something else, can cause both B and A, or it could actually just be a coincidence, or it could be that people are kind of um, misrepresenting the data, which sometimes, unfortunately, is the case. But in general, uh, you know, being fat can cause you to be diabetic, diabetic can cause you to be fat, or there could be something else that can cause you to be both fat and diabetic. And The problem is that none of the evidence, and I mean quite literally none of the evidence out there really ever explores whether it's A causing B, B causing A or C causing A. It's just automatically assumed. And that assumption comes from literally centuries worth of belief that being fat is bad for your health. And that, of course, is based very much on the fact that way back when um, blackness and fatness were associated with each other. And we know that uh, the world is anti-black and therefore fatness and blackness became synonymous with each other. So the world became anti-fat long before modern medicine came into existence. So every single doctor, researcher, public health professional has always believed deep down in their heart that there's no question A causes B. And they never even question whether B could cause A or ever look for other things that could cause both. And in terms of the things that can cause both, well, first of all, what can make you fat It's very simple. Genetics is the most important one. Your environment is the second most important one. Medical conditions uh, underlying ones like insulin resistance, polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, hypothyroidism. Those are just a few, to name a few, medications. uh, Most uh, contraceptives can cause you to gain weight. Most antidepressants and antipsychotics will cause you to gain weight. There are some drugs that will cause you to literally double in weight after being on them for about one to two years. So drugs certainly can. And then the really interesting part uh, where it gets, I feel, particularly fascinating is that dieting causes you to gain weight. In fact, it is the biggest risk factor for weight gain. So you've got all this stuff going on in the background, genetics, medical conditions, drugs, all this stuff. And then you've got other, other things that you have to take into consideration. For example, there's no evidence that losing weight improves your health. I've just finished up a diabetes webinar. Diabetes is that disease that everyone associates with fatness, and I have done a thorough, thorough review of studies. I've looked at at least thirty studies. I have analysed, critically appraised every single one of them. I have presented them all in a nice twenty-five page word document, and I found, without doubt, that a losing weight doesn't prevent you from having type diabetes. B, losing weight doesn't reverse diabetes. It doesn't treat diabetes. And C. Losing weight doesn't improve your long term health for if you're diabetic. Like, there's no question. The studies make that very clear. So, all these things we've led to believe are oh, being diabetic, it's all about being fat. Actually, that's not true at all. There's something else going on. And what could the something else be? It could be dieting and weight cycling, um, but it also could be weight stigma. And weight stigma impacts people. Well, it has two major roles to play in our health. The first is that weight stigma or anti-fat bias causes doctors and other health professionals to do fewer examinations, fewer investigations, ignore symptoms, tell people to go away and lose some weight. You know, they congratulate people when they've lost weight, even though unintentional weight loss is actually a very serious issue. And they often delay treatment. So you actually get poorer health care when you're in a fat body. So in a way, being fat does cause poor health, but that's not because you're fat. That's because of the way people treat you or doctors treat Mm -hmm. you. The other thing that weight stigma does is it also causes you as an individual to stop trusting your doctors, to stop wanting to go and see your doctor. In fact, usually you're avoiding your doctor. And if you have a symptom and you think, well, maybe I should go check that out do you know what? I'm not going to bother. They're going to tell me to lose weight. So then you don't go see your doctor. And again, that delays treatment. And we find time and time again, that treatment delay is one of the major reasons why being fat is associated with any poor health outcome. But we never ask ourselves, why are we delaying treatment? Why on earth would treatment be delayed? That doesn't make sense. I hope that's given you a little bit of a flavor of the complexity that is uh, this concept that being fat, causes you to be healthy unhealthy. Like there really, really isn't any evidence. And if anyone comes to me and says, here's the evidence, I am always, I've every single time been able to refute them and say, Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I've read that too. I can do a Google search. Thank you very much. But if you look here, here and here, you'll find that you're wrong. So the evidence just isn't there.
2: It's so wild because it is such like a long held assumption. And and I feel like even with people who genuinely have progressive views, They can like get to the point of like, well, anti-fat bias is bad. But as soon as you're like, and it's not actually even a health concern, they're like, well, no, no, no. You know, like that, like that leap feels so difficult for people to accept because it is so ingrained in our brains. How do we like start to break this? Because I feel like we were sort of on a good path. And now there's like the Ozempic craze and there is, you know, The the whale whale and there's the American Pediatric Association coming out with these horrifying guidelines for children, you know, like authorizing gastric bypass surgery for like eight year olds and diets for two year olds. And like, what, why did the medical, why is the medical community almost going backwards after it felt like it was, we were maybe making some improvements?
1: Well, you know what those three things have in common? A little company called Novo Nordisk, and when I say a little company, it's a massive company that has got record-breaking profits for the last two years. And this is why, for the last 10 years, they have been investing billions, and I literally mean billions, 20 billion, 30 billion, maybe even 40 billion, into funding doctors, into funding organizations like the Obesity Action Coalition and the Obesity Federation, et cetera, et cetera. They've been funding the American Academy of Pediatrics and pretty much every other academy out there. And they've been funding them with lots of money. They have been funding the doctors. They have been funding the organizations. They have been putting out tons of PR, a lot of the PR, a lot of the messages you see in like magazines and newspapers, you know, whenever there's like a news cycle that's sort of talking about fatness, it's almost always funded by Novo Nordisk somehow. And that's why we're seeing all of this nonsense because they've just had their drug approved by the FDA, and now in the UK in the last week. So the Obesity Action Coalition funded the whale and was very much involved with the whale. So they were involved throughout the 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 American Academy of Pediatrics. Their guidelines are dangerous, as in I'm about to sit on a panel to discuss how dangerous they are. They are shockingly dangerous because there's no evidence in those those recommendations are based on no evidence whatsoever, and furthermore. They actually delayed those guidelines to allow Novo Nordis to get their study in. Can you believe that? They stopped the process so that Novo could slip their their documents in. And Ozempic or Wigovi, which is uh, the kind of, Ozempic is the diabetic drug and Wigovi is the uh, rebranded, same drug, but rebranded at a much higher dose for weight loss. There is absolutely no evidence that you are able to continue losing weight beyond a year. In fact, you will start regaining weight on Wigovi at the one-year mark. doesn't matter how long you take it. If you stop it at any point in time, you will regain all your weight back at a rate which we have never, ever, in the history of mankind, ever seen before. It's quite extraordinary how quickly you regain your weight there are untold consequences, long-term consequences for taking this drug. We don't know what they are because it's been around for literally two years. If we find out 10 years down the line, which I suspect we will, that this causes premature onset of diabetes, which is for me almost a given at this point in time, this could cause cancer. It could cause all sorts of problems. Um, It's already linked to a rare form of thyroid cancer, but I, I would be willing to bet that there's actually gonna be so many more complications because this drug, is messing with our body's internal system in a healthy person. So this is going to cause untold damage. And if you look at the way that Novo Nordisk is behaving and how they've been approaching the marketing, it has been, it has been described as an aggressive marketing campaign. And the last time I recall hearing people talk about this aggressive marketing, marketing campaign, was around 1996 when a little, comp- little unknown company called Purdue started releasing a drug called OxyContin. If you look at the way that they behaved between 96 and 2003, 2004, you will find so many similarities with the way that Novo Nordisk is behaving now. The way that they're bribing people, and it's just literally the news has just broke in the UK that they've been bribing pharmacists to prescribe it. And the head of the board that that should have been preventing this from happening is on, it works for Novo Nordisk. So they've had to step down and now there's this big scandal. This is, it's been going on for ages. No one's talking about it, but it's been going on for ages. So you said, why are we going backwards? Well, it's simple. Novo is pushing forwards and they are worth hundreds of billions. And, uh, you know, a little person with a little podcast cannot compete with that. But also... I think the other thing that we have to really acknowledge is that if the world were to agree that being fat was equal to being thin in terms of health and in terms of, you know, ability to contribute to society in, in terms of moral virtue, in terms of all of those things, what you'd find is they would have to be, people would have to be willing to, to let go of the power that they have Thin people, especially when uh-huh. they say, well, look at me, I'm, I'm healthy. And as because I'm healthy, I'm entitled to all these benefits that fat people don't have, but if they're entitled to the same benefits as me, then we're all A, scrambling for the same benefits and B, I'm not superior to this person anymore. And for a lot of us, especially if we've been mistreated in other areas of our life, you know, maybe we're poor or, you know, we're queer or we're whatever. And so we're used to being the one that's always kind of being sort of excluded. Thinness, brings us into the fold a little bit. So who wants to get rid of that? I think that's a huge problem. When when I say to people, look, I'm just as healthy as you and I'm just as worthy of this, that and that, that as you are, they don't take too kindly to that. And I understand that feeling. I, I don't even judge them or, or you know, <laughs> I'm not angry at them because they feel that way. But this is equity. This is equity in, you know, in every area of life. If we want equity, uh, we have to be willing to give up some stuff. And giving up stuff is the hardest part, I think.
0: It's that like, well, I walk 20 miles in the snow, so so should you, right? It's yeah. like, well, if, I am, if I'm not eating cake and I have to do all this stuff in order to like reach this level of society and be given all these privileges, we're just going to give you the privileges? Mm-hmm. No way.
1: It's, that's, that's what it feels like to me. That's, that's so true. And I think another problem is that, you know, like with, with, again, it's the stereotype. We're constantly fighting the stereotype. You know, like every time I say anything the first thing i'm told is stop eating you know stop eating burgers and you know go for a walk fatty like i get that's the first thing and all mm-hmm. say enough with the pizza put down the pizza go for a walk put down the cake go for a walk and so the stereotype always is that we eat too much and we don't we don't take care of our bodies and we're lazy and we're gluttonous and we're all of these right. things so when we say actually you know actually there's no evidence for example that 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 weighing a person improves their health when they're a diabetic. Like, in fact, if you got rid of the scales and didn't weigh diabetics anymore, you would actually find that diabetics were healthier, more long-term. Yeah. Like, there's evidence to suggest that. But when I say that, everyone looks at me and thinks, yeah, put the pizza down and go for a walk, fatty. They don't, <laughs> they're not really interested in engaging with me, even though I've got the evidence that's right there before them. They don't want to engage because of the assumptions that they make about me. And unfortunately, when a thin person presents the same evidence, obviously there's a different reaction. But the problem is that thin people often, as you say, they don't have the lived experience and they don't have the, perhaps some of the understanding or they have blind spots. Let's put it that way. So who's going to lead the charge? Who's going to fix things? I don't don't know.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it is interesting because I I think one of the things that makes anti-fat bias so hard to fight and nefarious is this morality that is attached to it that like, because like almost the first phase of of defense is like, well, actually I do work out all the time and I do eat quote unquote healthy foods and this is just my genetics. But then it's like a step back of being like, but but why do you also have to do those things? You know, like why is there like morality assigned to what foods you want to eat. And if you want to eat junk food, that somehow you're a person with absolutely no willpower. When meanwhile, there's so many thin people out there who, if you look at their diet, it's like all processed food and junk food, and they're not being morally judged in the same way. So it's like difficult of like, how do you fight back against
1: it? Right. But then, you know, as somebody who's experienced kind of prejudice in, in more than one way, and I still hold you know, hold firm to the fact that I'm massively privileged. But I think this is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, anti-fat bias, it's like the, it's the, it's the last acceptable form of prejudice out there. And I'm like, you must be joking. <laughs> I mean, what you think, like racism went away, transphobia went away, like homophobia went away. It didn't. I'm still very much present in fact, sometimes worse. So I think this isn't unique to the fat experience, but I think that its it's perhaps quite pervasive in society, mainly because we have a society that actually is quite disordered i hate to tell you this i was just talking to somebody who is uh, used to be a professional uh, weightlifter uh, very much involved in the you know elite kind of like um, lifting scene is australian and has uh, worked with a lot of people that we will know because the social media influencers are from australia and like you know professional athletes and and we were just talking about just how Completely disordered, the entire profession is. And, you know, we were talking about all of the, the drugs that they misuse. Um, that actually, there are some people out there who believe it's actually normal and healthy to exercise for more than two hours a day. A lot of people out there believe that restricting is actually a normal part of life, that you're supposed to live a life of restriction. We live in quite a disordered world where the images that we're, we're seeing of people are very much. And I don't mean fake, but I mean the people who are able to look like that are killing themselves, quite literally killing themselves. They're harming their bodies. They're putting themselves at huge risk. Uh, They're not going to live into their 60s and 70s. I hate to say it. I I wonder what's going to happen to that generation of people really because of what they're doing to their bodies. And so it's really hard because there's just so much out there of this is what a person should be like. What I'm enjoying seeing is, and I don't know whether it's just because I stick to my side of the internet, but I'm enjoying seeing other communities that I belong to, like the trans community, becoming more inclusive and accepting that, for example, being trans doesn't look a certain way. I'm loving the fact that, uh, for the most part, the queer community is becoming more kind of, I'd like to think, you know, more inclusive of trans people. I'm Mm -hmm. loving... All sorts of things that I'm seeing in other communities, I'm loving watching black women finally pick up a microphone and be heard for the first time, you know, was probably 2020 and then they kind of disappeared again. But I'm hoping there'll be a resurgence. Like I'm, I'm loving watching some more, you know, seeing the diversity and seeing more empowering people out there standing up, being taken seriously, people being interested in their lives. And I think it's only a matter of time before we start to see that in, in, you know, um, among fat people. There are people who are what I call straight size or thin who actually really care and are quite passionate. I mean, I'm, I'm always surprised when I meet somebody who says, oh, wow, I follow you. And I'm like, looking at them thinking, (laughs) why you don't need to follow me. You don't have, you don't have a fat problem. Like what's, why would you follow me? But you know, they care. And there are some really great people out there. You want me on your podcast. Like you, you know, there's no reason for you to be having these kind of conversations and yet you are so. I actually think that over time, these things will change. And actually, social media has the, or, or or just, you know, I think we, the people, have the power to change it. But we've got to start talking about how disordered the health and well-being, like the whole thing. Gwyneth talking about how she's literally got an IV in her arm and is mm-hmm. drinking bone broth. This is not normal. And I think we've all come to the point now yeah. where we've gone, oh, no, that's too far. Gwyneth, you took it too far. You look ill. She's lost a lot of the, looking at her face, she doesn't have the fat that's supposed to be there in her cheeks. She's ill. And so I'm hoping a lot of people will be like, I don't actually want to follow this person anymore because that's taking it too far. I'm hoping wellness culture, you know, slowly becomes exposed for what it is, which is a big lie. And the only thing that they're interested in is making profits and, you know, profiting off of people.
0: We're going to take a quick break for
1: commercials and we'll be right back with our guest. between us
0: and we're back i think it's so funny to that people are like oh this is like fat activism is is trying to like infiltrate the world or whatever but like and they're so ready to think that there's like shady billionaire money things behind almost everything except pushing an anti-fat agenda like they're like no 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 this is the this is the the fat people pushing their agenda and i'm like and you're talking about like Right. But you guys believe in every other conspiracy. Like you guys would believe anything else, but you're somehow like not believing that the pediatric thing was fun. Like, it's
1: just so ridiculous. Yeah. Do you know, it's funny because I often get comp- compared to an anti-vaxxer. I, I get like, you know, you're a quack. You're just like the anti-vaxxers out there. And you know, I've always been pro-science. <laughs> Dare I say that doesn't mean I'm, I'm woke right. too. Woo-hoo. Um. <laughs> You know, actually what I am pushing, what I am peddling is a bit of a conspiracy theory. I'm sorry to say it, but I'm right. But it is a bit of a conspiracy theory. It's all being done underground, behind closed doors. But we have the blueprint. And that's what I keep telling people. It happened. You have watched programs. about. There is a program called Dope Sick that people, I hope, have watched. And if you watch Dope Sick, I can sit there with you and watch it with you and be like, Novo did that. Novo's doing that. That's a Novo thing. I don't know if you, if you watched Dope Sick, you would have learned about the uh, conferences that Purdue put on how they implemented mm-hmm. the doctors, how they went and marketed themselves to doctors. When it became clear that people were getting addicted to the drug, instead of going, yeah, our drug is addictive, they went, oh, no, no, this is normal. You're supposed to, and you are yep. supposed to, because we want to call it breakthrough pain." They introduced a term that I use to this day into the, into the medical vernacular that did not exist, it was a drug company that did that. And Novo is doing the exact same thing. Pre-diabetes is a condition. I, I'm sure you've heard of it. It is not actually a condition. It was a PR stunt made by the American Diabetes Association, funded by Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. I always say Novo. I forget Eli. Eli Lilly are just as bad, but poorer. Both of these companies funded the American Diabetes Association, who then put pressure onto the Center for Disease Control, onto the CDC, to invent a condition called pre-diabetes. The correct terminology is impaired glucose tolerance. And the WHO has never recognized pre-diabetes as a condition because the WHO has rightly said, there's no evidence that people who have impaired glucose tolerance go on to develop diabetes. Oh my God. So why are you calling it pre-diabetes? But they made a condition that every single person in the US is aware of, so much so in the UK, And they made every, like, if you watch how they did it, if you watch what they did, how they changed the guidelines, how, it's incredible. You read it and you think that can't be possible. How can that be possible? But it happened. And in 2018, there was a Cochrane review. And the Cochrane is a group of people in the UK that do like massive deep dives into the literature. And they're kind of, I would say like, you know, the creme de la creme. If Cochrane says something, it's probably evidence-based. They did a review in 2018, and they concluded without a shadow of a doubt pre-diabetes is not a thing. Stop diagnosing it, stop treating it and stop spending money on it. Wow. But we're not. Who's benefiting from prediabetes? There's only one group of people benefiting from pre-diabetes. And that is the people that produce the anti-obesity, quote unquote anti-obesity drugs or the weight loss drugs, because there's no treatment for pre-diabetes, except they want us to believe the treatment is weight loss. Yep. Now, again, not been proven. In fact, there are studies that looked at it and showed that it didn't improve so losing weight doesn't reduce your chances of becoming diabetic quite the opposite um it has very little impact at all but we believe in society since 2001 that a pre-diabetes is a condition and b the only way to treat it is weight loss and c the only way to lose weight effectively because we know that diets don't work and we've all agreed now that diets don't work by the way like everyone's in agreement the way to treat obesity or the way to treat fatness is to use our weight loss drug, even Weight Watchers. Oh, how convenient. How convenient, even Weight Watchers. How weight, convenient. Weight Watchers, the diet company, is now going to be giving people Wegovy. And this is another thing I found out the other day. So Weight Watchers bought a company called Sequence Health and they're like a telehealth company in the States and they basically do Wegovy prescriptions. That's all they do. And I found out who, whose brainchild this was and who runs it. And it's a chat, a doctor called Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Now he has given me so much crap online for two years. In fact, since I first got on social media, he has humiliated me. He has consistently said, I'm not paid for by Novo Nordisk. I am my own person. I'm not trying to make money off this. I care about people. This doctor is just trying to ruin my reputation. Uh They're you know, just trying to get followers and all this stuff. Guess who owns Sequence Health? 134 million dollars. Weight Watchers paid for him, and so I guess what I'm seeing is a whole group of people that are conspiring to create a, a sort of almost fictional disease. And that blueprint is very much part of Purdue's plan back in the '90s and late '90s. You can just watch sick. if you want. It. If you don't believe me, you don't have to like. You don't have to get tin tinfoil to line your room and make a hat out of it. You just go watch <laughs> Dope Sick. and you'll see that I'm, you know, everything I say, like it's right there. Yeah. It's crazy stuff.
2: So what do you think is going to happen as people are on Ozempic and the or the, the, Govi. the Govi for like over a year? You know, because I've known someone who's been on it at this point for over a year, but like what what's going to happen as time goes by? Are people going to
1: get hip to this doesn't work? Well, it doesn't work. So um, the first study they ever did showed that people started to regain weight at one mm-hmm. year, but they stopped the study at one year. <laughs> <laughs> convenient. So uh, there's eight trials and then two more, one on children and one was like a follow up to the first trial. So the fourth study they did was for two years. And what they found was that in the second year, over a period of about 36 weeks, you gained back 2.5% of the weight that you lost. So I, you know, that's all we've got. They've never gone beyond two years. Ideally, we want a study for five years because then we'll have a better idea of where we're at. Every single diet, every single diet, whether it's an uh, actual diet or actually weight loss drugs, whether it's bariatric surgery, it doesn't matter. Everybody loses the most amount of weight in the first six months. Then they hit a plateau and it slows right down. At around a year, they hit what we call the n- n- nadir or nadir or however you say it, which is like the peak, mm-hmm. but the reverse peak. And then you start to go up again at about a year. And you see this in everything, even in bariatric surgery. So that's what happened. With um, Wegovy, when the National Institute of Clinical Excellence in the UK, which is like the FDA, when uh, they agreed to to allow people to sell Wegovy here for weight loss, the document is is world it's, it's public. Unlike with the FDA, which keeps everything behind closed doors, we're in the NHS. We have a nationalised health service. Everything is available to view. So if you read the document, it states very clearly that people who are on Wegovy, if they take it for two years. After stopping it, three years later, they will be, have either regained all the weight or actually ended up heavier. Yeah. There's possibility that even if you stay on Wegovy for five years, the same thing will have happened. There's there's no reason to believe that's not the case. If you look at the trajectory of that line on that graph from the fourth trial, from the step four trial, if you follow it up for five years, if you stay on the line, you're going to hit your original weight within five years. So the answer is everyone is going to realize in five years that it doesn't work, but you know what they're going to do, right? What did, what did Paddy do? Paddy went, ah, hang on. We know this is a problem so have a stronger dose.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Or so, you know, they're going to come up with a reason. I mean, they're already saying, yeah, we know that you can't just use it for two years. You're going to have to use it for longer. It's called a maintenance dose, but they, they know that. By the time we get hit to the idea that this doesn't work, or when we figure out this is actually causing harm, which took us a while to figure that out with Purdue, it's going to take us a while to figure that out, um, they will have made their profits. And look at what happened to Purdue, even, even though the company had to settle that lawsuit. I think that Wegeve has it Nova has learned from that and they're much more clever. Uh, and I think it'll be much harder to prove that they have actually caused any harm. So I think they'll get away with it. But even if they don't get away with it, like the Sackler family are still yep. loving life and they're living yep. large. So uh, you know, there, there is no, <laughs> there is no way to to stop this. This is, I mean, this is capital. This is peak capitalism, and this is the world we live in. And uh, what can we do to stop it? And this is not, a, by the way, this is not an American drug company. That's the difference. It's a, it's a Danish drug company. So again things are different because that's it's oh. danish law not not american or english law right oh. interesting stuff
2: <laughs> terrifying stuff um <laughs> before we move on to the game show I, I guess it's like kind of a big question just comment of, of like you know the thing about anti-fat bias is that it, it affects people that aren't even fat because i think that we are mm-hmm. you know told that y- almost everyone is told at some point in their life that they're fat, right? Or that they need to, like, even if like objectively their BMI is, even though that's made up, like, you know, there is this, and then there's also just this fear of being fat, right? So like you see people where it's like, I've never, you've never been fat, but oh my God, I have to take measures to prevent that from ever even happening. And, and so mentally, what is like the first step, whether or not you are fat or have just grown up around this anti-fat bias? to start to unlearn that, to start to unlearn the the self-judgment and the fear and, you know, the the
1: bias. Asking for a friend. Yeah. And, you know, our our mothers, uh, our parents, mainly our mothers, actually, um, I say that in a very gendered way, but you know what I mean? I, I think people who were assigned female at birth from their generation, like they are all holding on to eating disorders that were never diagnosed. And actually, a lot of people out there have an undiagnosed eating disorder. So that's problematic. So for some people, that fear of fatness is just a general fear of fatness. And then for some people, that's a I have an eating disorder uh, and no one's diagnosed me yet. And so uh, how to manage those two people are actually two very different things. If there is a chance you have an eating disorder, you need support, you need help. Unfortunately, the support and help doesn't exist unless you happen to be in a very small body, and there are swathes of people who are not getting diagnosed with an eating disorder because they 're not thin enough uh, you know and often again, men generally men boys, people who you know consider themselves to be a boy because there's, there's no evidence for transgender folks, so it's very difficult to comment on how it impacts trans- transgender people, but you know there is this um, a huge amount of kind of the sort of almost reverse what people would say was reverse anorexia because boys want to get big they don't want to get small but it's still a problem and uh, binge eating is a huge problem that doesn't get talked about binge eating disorder so there are lots of people out there that have an undiagnosed eating disorder and we I just don't think we're diagnosing it enough and that's a real problem and so those people like if you have family members who it's not just kind of diet culture and Anti fat bias. It's a genuine fear of getting fat, and it's become a bit of an obsession. And they really are, you know, so fixated on their weight that they cannot really think about much else. They may need support from a kind of eating disorder thing. And there are some fantastic eating disorder accounts out there, weight neutral eating disorders accounts that talk about anti fat bias and weight stigma as part of their kind of discourse. Uh, as I said, Jessica Wilson, uh, Wilson's book is brilliant. It's a great one to start with because it's really, it's so freaking hilarious. I love it.
0: Even if you can know that, that anti-fat bias exists, it's like this media thing of being so scared of being fat and then being like, well, it's okay to be scared of that or something. Like, I, What is yeah. someone's like first thought yeah. to be like, stop being scared of that? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So you know what really helped me and what I think is actually really helpful is, is is to start normalizing fat bodies. So for me, one of the best things I ever did was go like onto like social media or like looking at artists or, or just basically spending a lot of time looking at fat people and fat people's bodies, normalizing that and beginning to love the people inhabiting those fat yeah. bodies. And after a while, I began to realize it's not something to be scared of. And yet there's also the whole like health thing and understanding the health thing. But I think even if you understand the health thing, you have to look at fat people for long periods of time and just go, actually, that's not scary. Like this person's having the time of their lives. I get to go to a restaurant whenever I want to and order whatever I want to and not care about how many calories is in it. And that's actually very joyful and it's quite wonderful. It's quite liberating. I also know that, you know, there's a good chance that I'm going to live just as long as everyone else. Possibly, according to the statistics, I might live longer than everyone else. But even if I don't, you know, I'm going to have a great time whilst I'm at it. And seeing fat joy, I think, lived in, you know, lived out in real life, I think and that can be a massively powerful tool. We only ever see fat bodies on the TV or whatever when they're being punished or when they're being humiliated or whether the punchline of a joke or when they're like, you know, part of a show about losing, you know, their 600 pounds. I mean, there's a reason why people are obsessed. With that number 600 pounds like it's about a tv show if you start seeing people like lizzo i mean she's a classic example but all my friends have just been seeing a concert because she's in the uk at the moment so lizzo she's having she's having the best time and she's just being fat and and happy start normalizing lizzo's body looking at Lizzo's body and being like there's actually something not and you know you have to face your fears and if your fear is being fat start looking at fat people and maybe it will become less scary Mm. that's just an idea because actually I think it's more about the emotional reaction you have to fatness than it is about what's going on in your head.
2: Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you. Okay. I have to stop because I would ask you a thousand more questions and we have a, we have a, we have a time crunch. So (laughs) now we have to transition into a very silly game show. If That sounds okay.
1: I can't wait. Do I get a prize? Just out of curiosity. The prize
2: is um pride and uh and bragging rights. Yeah, major bragging rights. Well, I'll send I can send you um an e card. Like a okay, congratulations e yeah. card <laughs> if you win.
0: <laughs> it, it, you open it, it plays like it plays like <laughs> you are my sunshine or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: So you can look forward to that if you would. If um, <laughs>
1: yeah. If biggest
2: Big Big So this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabe are going to be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And sometimes I pick a winner and sometimes I don't. But I am biased throughout. Extremely biased. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Our first game is America's favorite game show. But maybe it will also become the UK's favorite game show. Who knows? Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 18 years has a friend who has always held a torch for them. Their friend loses their job super unexpectedly and is very depressed. To make them feel better, your partner makes out with them for 30 minutes. Would you stay with this cheater?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I would like to ask a question. Why was making out with them for 30 minutes going to make them feel better?
2: Because they've always had such a huge crush on your partner and it's finally a dream realized for them. Oh. And where did they do it? Um, at the friend's apartment on their couch. F- friends was playing in the background. <laughs> Just setting the scene for you. <laughs> they made out for one and a half Friends episodes. <laughs> oh my God.
1: There are so many like jokes in there about like, we were on a break and yes. oh, I'm Rachel, <laughs> but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go anywhere. So am I allowed to, am I allowed to swear oh, on yes. this podcast yeah. or am I keeping it clean? It's
2: encouraged. Okay,
1: fine. So my partner is a bellend and um, <laughs> yeah, that's a very English phrase. I don't know whether that like translates into the States, but basically that's like the, I mean, we're talking anatomically, it's like part of a penis. So yeah. like the head of the penis, like that beyond a dick like the tip of the dick like not even a whole dick what a what an idiot i he just sounds he sounds he she sounds cocky like oh the the you know i'm totally gonna like make out with this person because that will cheer them up so for that reason and that reason alone i am gonna regret 18 years of my life with this (laughs) fool and i will leave them and like for that reason not because i'm particularly worried about cheating
0: I genuinely believe that there are people that if I made out with them for 30 minutes it would make them feel a lot better.
2: Oh, but you do have some narcissistic tendencies. I there's
0: people there's people that if I was really sad and they wanted to make out for 30 minutes I'd be like this is a game changer. So I get it. <laughs> Melissa is rolling her eyes.
2: So Melissa, you're one of them. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I think, Melissa made out with you for 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it make me
0: feel better. All right.
2: <laughs> so I'm
0: just saying this um, is this is a very safe work environment. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. so I'm just saying that I get it, but also why didn't they run it by me?
2: Well, yeah.
1: Yeah. Shoot me a text. Right. Yes. Fine. But also I would say that if you're with your partner for 18 years, you probably don't know the term polyamory. So I would say that if it was my partner and I was like, you know together with them now, then I'd probably be cool with that anyway i'm I'm you know, how hot's the friend the friend <laughs> yeah, the, we didn't ask that question the
2: friend is 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 the same exact level of hotness as you,
1: wow, whatever okay. that
2: means to you, mm. okay,
0: I'll stay. <laughs> whatever yeah exactly I'll stay Gabe's
2: like oh you mean the best looking person alive <laughs> I you don't know I'm overcompensating
0: so hard for being trans you don't get it I do I genuinely think I'm very hot yes but there are little voices in my mind that say you're trans and that's ugly and so I have to really overcompensate so actually what I'm doing is radical
1: okay mm. thank you <gasps> Oh, you should win! You should win for that. <laughs> oh, win for all right. that. Like that, I'll, oh, give it, I'll give I'll give this one it. to Gabe. Gabe Being
0: obsessed with myself yeah. is actually praxis. Yes. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> nice. Our next game. Would you forgive this liar? After months of chemistry, you finally hook up with your coworker, but when you ask to see them again, they tell you that they made a pact with themselves to never date a coworker because it is too messy. Five months later, they publicly announced they are dating the most popular accountant at the company. No. Would you forgive this liar? Never
0: forgive.
1: (laughs) Never forgive. (laughs) Not a chance. No. They're dead to me.
2: Would you be openly hostile to them? Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. The only, the only correct thing to do there would be to find a way to exact revenge when they're least expecting it. Like sleep with one eye open, stick fish inside like the like dead fish inside, like that. You know, the inside of their car or whatever. The kind of thing that like is brutal. That you, you go, Gabe. What would you do?
0: Wait ten years. They oh. have a child. Oh, oh no. that that child turns eighteen. Okay.
1: No, oh. you no. go
0: to their school. No, you go to oh. their college. You become a teacher mm-hmm. at their college, and then mm. you fail their son. Their son. Okay. Oh, Phew. I, I, yeah. Phew. <laughs> no, no, no. I was trying to come up with something that would like. That, no, I wasn't going sexual with it.
1: Okay. I wasn't going sexual with it.
0: I was saying, I was saying, trying to come up with something that would ruin their life. So I was thinking, like, either you, you like rob them or something. But I think becoming their professor and then failing them is but good. that's
2: ruining their kid's life, not the person's life. Yeah. Well, they should have thought of that. Oh no. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> it's too long a con, right? That like you want your long con. Like they, you want them to remember you. Like 18 years, it's too long. They've got to get married. They're it's gonna they're clearly going to get married first because they're that kind of couple. And then they're going to wait and then they're going to have a kid. So we're talking 25 years. They will have forgotten you by 25 years. You need sure, to go long okay. con, but like maybe like, I don't know, trash their wedding. If they're getting married and you know you know, the popular girl is going to have that, that wedding, that yeah. amazing wedding, destroy their wedding. Well, it's a
2: popular accountant. Yeah. Oh. So they might actually have a very, you know, frugal wedding. Who's
0: the top board of the CPAs? I'll call them. I'll have them do a pre-investigation. <laughs> nice. That's All it. right. Everybody you're wins a winner on this again. one. I write to the Daily
1: Mail. Is this the most <laughs> <laughs> outrageous accountant? Hey, stop trying to take. You're demeaning my title now. You're taking sorry, that away from I'm me. So you sorry. take that back. Take that back.
0: <laughs> Am I the most outrageous podcaster? Who can can say?
2: (laughs) Okay. Our final game. Is this a date a huge meteor hits the earth causing an apocalypse while you were at a movie? A good number of people survive and the self-appointed leader asks you to break into groups to go find resources. Someone you did not know before the meteor hits asks if you want to pair up and be in the same group. Is this a date? Are you the only two in the group? Yeah. What
0: movie were you seeing?
2: You were seeing a movie that hasn't come out yet. That's called little feet. And it's about, um, it's about a, a army of, of hamsters that pair up with an army of ants to defeat. Ironically enough, a, a a meteor. (laughs)
1: is it like a is it like an animated movie or is it like a live action?
2: Well, at this point, actually we've learned how to control the animals, so it is live action
1: <laughs> Nice, nice.
2: are we both single? um well, the meteor hit right where both your partners were, so
1: <laughs> you're both newly single yeah, newly <laughs> single. you need a rebound thing I- <laughs> In times of desperation, I think that could potentially become a date. It could become a movie, actually. That's a great (laughs) meet you. It's a great meet you. You know, like the world comes to an end, but you somehow survive. And then you like go on this journey together and then you end up happy. I could could get into that.
0: Meanwhile, Alison's writing the script for Little Feet. I wish. (laughs) And I'm learning how to train ants. And together,
2: we've done it. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think there's some romantic undertones, maybe.
0: Are they hot? <laughs> the ants?
2: Everyone is hot in their own way. <laughs> I'm so sick of you asking me that question. <laughs> but you can say they're hot to you. But you then you should clarify that in your question. Are they hot to me? So hot.
0: Oh, that's really hard. But
2: they do speak very softly. I hate that. <laughs> you can barely oh. hear them. No, I don't like it. They talk. No. no. And they know how to talk louder. It's a choice.
1: Nope. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm going through this apocalypse alone. All right. Uh, that could be a very useful, that could be a very useful skill, possibly. like In the know. apocalypse, especially. Yeah. yeah. Okay, no. I'm back in. I'm st- I'm in. <laughs> I've been in the whole time. I like all the way.
2: You guys are both winners. I'll be sending uh, both of you e cards. No. So I'm gonna look. They do cost money, so <laughs> I, I, might, you know, I, I have to. To look. be honest, do. I don't
1: want your, I don't want your pity e card. And also, it doesn't count if I like if we both won, but it just doesn't count. I told you I'd get competitive, and I meant it. If I didn't win outright, and you get- <laughs> that's it. All right, yeah, fair. No, no one's getting an e card, it. but I don't want an e card anymore. I'm out. It hurts. It hurts. Beep, boop,
0: beep, boop. Hello, Daily Mail. <coughs> I have a hot tip for you. <laughs>
1: That's 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 how I got my reputation, and I'm proud of it. I, I own yeah. I earned that reputation, and I own it with pride.
2: You just keep returning e cards to people. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh! Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and follow
1: you and learn all about all of your work? If you want to like let sort of land on my website and then figure out all the stuff I do, because I I work one to one with people and like work with clients. I I have lots of trainings, um, like on my website, like training videos for professionals and for like people just the general public who want to know about their condition. I do group coaching. I do all sorts of things. So if you want to find out like what I'm doing at the moment and what's on offer, you could head to my website, which is fatdoctor.co.uk. I think on Instagram, I'm the fatdoctor. And I think I'm fatdoctoruk on Twitter, but don't go to Twitter because why would you do that? Like, this is not the time to go there. So yeah, find me (laughs) on my website. (laughs) Uh, thank Amazing. you so much. Thank you.
2: Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about fame. <laughs> Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for topics.
0: X X X X, X, X,
2: X baby baby. baby. <laughs> we had a real range. Mm-hmm. So today I decided to pick just the very narrow topic of fame. Sure. <laughs> because I it's like an interesting thing especially with like TikTok and like the the accessibility of fame nowadays. Like, you know, why do why do we crave it so much?
0: You know, it's interesting. I was thinking a lot about people who chose it and people who didn't. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, somebody who's like actively working to become an actor or actively working to become an influencer versus like a Nepo baby, let's say who, or someone who like couldn't help but be famous because their parent is someone famous. Like people that are sort of born into like royalty, like, like did Harry and William choose to be famous? No. Like I always wonder how those people feel because they didn't get a choice versus like people who are working really hard because they want, I think it's like wanting acknowledgement in your or wanting validation. Am I funny? Am I interesting? Do people like what I'm doing? Like it's a, it, it, there are people that really want fame. And I used to think, oh, everybody wants fame. Everybody would be famous if they could choose to. But I know there's a lot of people who are like, no, I wouldn't.
2: Yeah. I also think that, and Melissa and I were talking about this a little bit the other day, that like there's like fame on a, you know, different scales like there are like celebrities who's everybody Mm -hmm. has heard of but then there's like you know the most popular professor at a university who everyone's like obsessed with and like fame in like these smaller circles which I think is very interesting too
3: yeah do y'all want to be like I mean y'all are famous but do you want to be like super super famous
2: I don't consider myself famous
3: oh here a lot of people know you
2: I guess but I I guess what I want is I want to be Famous enough where I can do whatever type of work I want to do because with fame comes cash in. And that's
3: exactly what I want.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. Where yeah. it's like, I matter enough that, like, oh, I, I want to do this project. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to green light this project because they're this famous they're or successful. To it, yeah. Right. That's but I don't want like to not be able to like live a regular life anymore.
3: Yeah, I think about that. But I also like rarely leave the house. So would it change that much? (laughs) It
2: wouldn't change much for you (laughs) at all, actually. (laughs) You know what's funny is
0: it's funny because it's not even because fame has become so ubiquitous. It doesn't even mean what it used to. Like I hear stories all the time about shows that are like starring the most famous people. And it's just like it didn't sell. Like it almost like the, the day of the movie star where it was, you know, the the studio system in the 30s and 40s and, and 50s. It's very much like, OK, well, if this person is in this movie, like it's getting made and like it's this whole thing. But like now it'll be, you know, the most famous established person. And the thing like doesn't even make a wave at all. Like there was an SNL sketch. I don't even like SNL, but my boyfriend does. There was a sketch where it was like talking about the ubiquity of content and like how Fame doesn't matter as much really anymore because it was like one. It was like a game show. And it was the guy being like, Nicole Kidman starred in an Apple Plus show this year. What was it called? And like nobody knew. Right. Or it was like, this is the most popular show on Netflix. And like someone would guess and they'd be like, nope, it's this. Yeah. Like, it's just that the the, the Levels have changed as such that I think you have to sort of be grandfathered in, like he, like Brad Pitt couldn't exist, be created as Brad Pitt today. He's already grandfathered in being Brad Pitt, or George Clooney, or Julia Roberts, like these old school stars.
2: I don't know. I think there are still movie stars. Like I feel like Anna De Armas has become a movie star in like yeah. the last few years. That's and true. She's newer.
0: True, but I don't know that any movie she's in doesn't necessarily do well. Like Dark, like Deep Water, fail. But you know she I mean?
3: is she the one that got the rules changed for what there is now like if a trailer makes somebody a bigger makes it look like that somebody is a bigger star than they actually is. Then like you can get you can sue for that. I think it was her. <laughs> if there's a there was a movie that came yes, out there yes. was a movie that came out like before she was like. Knives out before she was famous yeah before she was famous but then she got famous so they recut the trailer to make it look like she was a bigger part of the movie than she actually was and then somebody bought the movie on like Amazon or something because they thought that she was like a big part of it and she wasn't and then like now you can sue for that
2: who would sue who
3: the consumer, but, it's false advertising. The consumer oh, can sue, yeah. yeah. And I think it was her. Yeah, I think it was. Although
0: that it is, it, I think it was. She her. sued, no, or she, someone, she, somebody,
3: somebody that bought the movie because they thought she was in it. Yeah, like a I lot bet more it was than she John. was. John,
2: obsessed with her.
0: I just think, I just think there's there's no such thing as like box office gold or box office poison for like a human being.
2: Yeah, but I guess I mean more like. What is so intrinsically like appealing about it? And and like part of it is like, I think financial stability, Mm -hmm. I think attention is nice. But I also wonder if it is this sense of like in this world that makes no logical sense to be like, I matter.
3: Can you say that again? I don't think I like
2: I think it is hard to like find purpose in life and to like be like, why are we here? But I feel like if you're famous, you can be like, I matter because all these people know me and think that I matter.
3: Yeah. Why does purpose matter? Why can't we just live every second? Uh, Capitalism.
2: Well, no, I I actually think having purpose in your life is really helpful for your mental health. But that purpose can be so many different things. Mm -hmm. I mean, that purpose can be being a wonderful grandmother.
0: I think it's legacy for me, right? Like I like like so many billions of humans have lived that. If I am a famous one, then I'm like in the top tier.
3: I don't think we people should will remember people, me. But I don't care about legacy. I don't, really. I don't care about that either. Like, why? Why? I, I'm just asking you, not yeah. like as a broad thing. Like specifically, you. Why does it matter to you that people remember you?
0: Because it means I made an impact and I helped, and it also means like I did something in this world to people that I don't even know.
3: I don't know. I mean. But you I just, don't think you can do that on a smaller scale where you're it's not fame. Yeah,
0: but I want I want people to, like, remember my work and me. I don't know. I really don't know why. I, I don't have kids. I don't want kids. I think like I just want to leave behind something that's like, hey, Gabe Dunn was here.
3: But you don't think that you can do that, like, in just like a smaller scale in a community? Other
0: people can. Sure. I'm mentally ill. Like <laughs> other people can can like, you know, feel good about
3: that. Uh, and I'm asking you out of curiosity, no, not no, out of like, I, I like badgering or I anything. I don't think
0: you are. I, I No, it's a good question. I really, I don't know. I often think about wanting to leave something behind. Like also, you know, I'm obsessed with who who had staying power, right? So like Marilyn Monroe, iconic. At the, around the same time that Marilyn Monroe was, was famous, there were other movie stars that were very similar to her. I'll say Mamie Van Doren and Jane Mansfield, for example. And then they did not have the icon, like iconography staying power that Marilyn Monroe had. But at the time you might think, Jane, like Mamie Van Doren might've thought, oh, I'm so famous. Like, well, I'm so invested and curious in who has staying power.
3: Well, Jane Mansfield lives on through her daughter though. Mariska Hargate, yes. uh huh.
0: But I'm just saying like,
3: you didn't
0: Did you not that? know that? No. Yeah. <laughs> she looks just like She looks it. just oh, like her. really. Oh, wow. But I'm just saying, like, I, I'm so curious about, like, who had, you know, like, in the metal era, right? There were all these metal bands that were so famous and so popular. And I'm sorry if you think metal is still in its peak era, but whatever. 80s. <laughs> 80s, okay? And who do we think of? Metallica. You know what I mean? Like, well, who, after everything is said and done and shakes out, who is the iconoclast?
2: See, I think more about like it, it's more fun to live it while it's happening than like what's happening after I'm dead.
3: Yeah, that's the mindset that I'm into.
2: Yeah. I don't never want I, want, I don't
0: want
3: to wait in a line. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to like skip to the front of the line.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think about like when I was in college, I never waited in line for anything like that might have been my peak. <laughs> <laughs> but it's bad. I feel bad because
0: I'm like, that's at the expense of other people. For example. I went to Disneyland with a friend who is famous and we were VIP and it was super fun. But were we adults in our 30s hopping on a boat in front of
3: children? Oh, yeah. But I'll argue that those children may be there in part to the legacy that that person has created in the Disney universe.
0: Yes, that's true. The the girl I went with is a Disney princess.
3: You know, she's kind of helped. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I did feel bad
0: watching like I was like, this is mo- this is money. Yeah. Right. And access like, of course, this like mom juggling two toddlers is going to wait another round because me and my fucking rich friends have to get on this. You know what I mean? Like it, it is it is like I do think about like, God, it really it really depends on it really sometimes has puts you in the front of a line that maybe you don't deserve.
2: I think what's like appealing to me is like getting to like work on cool things and like you know, getting to like go to events. But I do think it would be like mentally exhausting to not feel like I could just like go to a store or like, you yeah, know, when, you reach, do like,
3: that anyway, so. when <laughs> you reach like that level of <laughs> no, fame no, where yeah, like people yeah. don't
2: interact with you anymore, like you're a regular person. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that like that has to be mentally challenging. I don't like desire that.
0: I don't know how soon it becomes normalized. Like I went to the Gucci store one time and they kicked us all out. And closed it down for f- half an hour so Jennifer Lopez could go in and shop by herself.
2: Even like, I feel like when we were at BuzzFeed. Yeah. Like we were recognized all the time. Yeah. And like, if I walked past like a group of teens, I would like kind of be like, here we go. You know, Yeah, a lot of times they didn't know. But you know, like, and, and then like over the last two years and like, so that how I would go out in public was different. Because yeah. it was like mm-hmm. always under the assumption that maybe somebody would recognize me. And so I had like always be on best behavior. Whereas now I barely ever get recognized, and so I like go into the world in a different mindset
0: it's also it also depends like you're talking about someone being the most popular professor. I'm what you'd call gay famous mm-hmm. so in the world, no problem. If I go to a queer event, everybody knows my name i I get recognized at the Bye, gay bars mom. I get recognized like I was at the abbey and uh uh three oh my God, they were 21, they told me. And they were fangirling the podcast like crazy. They're probably listening to this. <laughs> and I was and I was like, how old are you guys? And they were like, oh, we're 21. And I was like, oh, wow. So you've been watching what? And they were like, since middle school. <laughs> and I was like, now we're both in this bar. Also, Alex, it was so funny because the, the, one of them was a trans woman and she was looking at us and Alex doesn't feel like trans people clock him as trans. So when this girl was looking at us, he was like, wow, like another trans person, like we're making eye contact. Community is so important. Like we're really seeing each other. And then it was like, no, she just recognized me. See, that's your fame. (laughs) And he was like, right, of course. Um, (laughs) But that's and so like that is the thing. There's like people who are gay famous. I mean, I would say there's people who are black famous. Who, like, we, me and Allison wouldn't know about, mm-hmm. but to you is, like, so famous. Yep. Like, who's, who's black famous? Um, can I tell you who I think? Who? Megan Good. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. Or Sa- uh, Sana Latham. Sana. 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 See? Yeah. You know, I'll be like, why isn't this person? I mean, it's racism. That's why. But, you know, I'm sort of like, there's, like, people who are so gay famous and you would never, like, the general public has no idea who they are.
2: I have to imagine, like, before you get up to a level where your life is so unlike a regular person's, like, it's just a lot of good things. Like, it's just like a lot of free stuff. It's a lot of access. It's a lot of, like, being able to feel like like you matter. People are mad
0: at us, though, all the
2: time. Yes. That's the other. That's the flip side. Is In that your, your daily life, you could walk around
0: and nobody would go, like, to your face, like, um, not funny, you stupid Jew. But then like, well, it just happened. I, but okay. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm repeating things that whatever happened to me, but I'm just saying, like, no, like the person at the store la- largely would not say that to you. Whereas like I can hop in my comments and there's like four people saying that.
2: Yeah. But I think that that, I mean, that's the thing we've talked about before is like, what do you give up when you decide to be public facing? Mm-hmm. And like you are under more of a microscope, but is it worth, is it worth the good stuff?
3: I have a new friend who is, she's not, famous as far as like most people don't know who she is but she's famous in the famous community of like fame people (laughs) okay I get that (laughs) okay so she she is part of this community where you walk in a room and everybody turns their head and walks up to her and is or like we were sitting down having lunch and I saw people pointing over at us. <laughs>
2: really? Yes.
3: And like people were like taking turns to come talk to her. Does she love it? She, well, when we got there, she was like, I need to sit to my back to the door because people yeah. will, will, igno- will like come up to me. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then I saw like it was just like a revolving thing. And then like for two hours. Right. Yeah. Is it exhausting? I thought it was cool for, like, the first 20 minutes. yeah. And then it was, like, we're trying to... It was, like, we kept having to stop having conversations. Mm -hmm. So she's somebody that's, like, famous to famous people. But not, like, to other, like...
2: So were these famous people that were coming up to her?
3: Yeah. Cool. And then, like, other people that, like... Like, I recognize by their face, but I don't really know who they are. And then other people that were, like like the person that owns like Tao restaurants. Whoa. Like that.
0: That's the other thing is that there are people who are really rich, but they're not famous. That seems nice. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to
2: be that. Yeah, <laughs> <too>. <laughs> and you know, a bunch of famous people. Like, mm-hmm. I think the best is to be a really rich showrunner. Producer. Like someone who runs a TV show. Yeah. And then, you know, all these people and you get to go to all the events and you're so rich. And you're famous within your own industry, Mm -hmm. but you can go wherever you
3: want. Yeah.
0: That's what I want too. That sounds, no, you want people to know. I know. What are you talking about? (laughs) You just said
3: two minutes ago
0: (laughs) I'm going to be the most famous trans guy. And believe me, there's only two I have to conquer before I get there. I can only think of one Chaz Bono. Oh, yeah. Chaz Bono, I'm coming for you. And Elliot Page, watch your back.
2: Okay. What do we
0: rate this episode? (laughs) I rate it 13 out of 10. Pre-diabetes is not a thing. Mm, Mm. That was wild.
2: I'll rate it 31 out of 15 birthday celebrations.
3: Do you want to know something? I was about to rate this. 32 out of 16 <laughs> you can celebrate your birthday whenever you want
2: wow <laughs> i love when melissa is i love equal it to us so that's uh that's the really official rating because it's it was, Wait, meant was to be... one
3: number off and then like the same thing
0: that's well so that's funny. wild that's mind so meld <laughs> thank you to dr asher larmy for being
2: our guest just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Alison Raskin, and me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa diamond Monts. Edited by Coco
0: Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.
2: Brendan Burns
0: composed our killer theme music.
2: So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us.
1: Forever! Dog!